if you have your Bibles, grab those. We are going to be in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Genesis chapter 3, we will pretty much walk through uh, all of Genesis 3. Also want to point your attention to our app. Um, Again, if you need to download that, feel free to do that. But you can follow along with the sermon this morning um, there and kind of see where we're headed or or some of the scriptures, different things uh, is there on our app. Um, So... um, Uh, We are in this series uh, called The Kingdom, and so last week we looked at The Kingdom Come, and we just talked about God establishing His rule, uh, His reign uh, over creation. As He creates, as He makes, there is this ruling part of Him that is over all of creation, establishing and setting and doing uh, in that creation that He created by the, the creation itself as well as with man. And so in that, we talked a little bit about how He creates man in His image. Um, and that's called the Imago day, which just simply means that we are to image or mirror what God is like. We are to be a reflection and to show what God is like. We resemble uh, all the things about him. So we can think, we can reason, we can feel, and we can act upon those things that we process, those things that we, we see. We can act upon them uh, and live those out and do things with those. And so we're to display, we're to reflect, we're to communicate who he is, how great he is, what he's like, his nature, his character, to this world. And so in this kingdom that he creates and he establishes the very beginning, there's no chaos, there's no death, there's only peace, there's only presence, there's only harmony. That's how God creates, that's how he establishes, that's how he sets up. And then he has man and woman in this creation and the scripture said last week that they are naked and unashamed. And it's more than just a physical thing here. It's a, it's, there's just nothing to hide. There's no shame. They're fully known. They're fully seen. And what they're experiencing in that moment, in that creation, is the full presence of God. God is among them in their midst, there with them. And everything is in harmony. Everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. And so this is the kingdom that God establishes. This is how he sets up things to be. This is what he wants our world to be like. As he established and creates and makes. And so this morning we're going to look at what happened. We're going to look at what, what went wrong. What took place. Because I don't know about you, but, but for me I've heard over, uh, man, the last eight, nine months. There's this one question that keeps popping up. There's this one question that keeps being asked or keeps being brought up. And it's the question of why. Why? Why in the world? What's happening? What's going on? And, and that question comes up often, doesn't it? Especially in times of difficulty, in times of struggle, if there's something that we just can't process or get our minds fully around or our hearts fully around. It's a very simplistic question, but it's a very weighty, heavy question. And it's that question of why. Like, why in the world? And we're in the middle of something that none of us in our lifetime has ever been a part of, has ever walked through, has ever, ever seen or experienced Probably like, like myself, you probably know some people that have, uh, that have gotten the virus or have uh, uh, not doing good or things have happened during this period of time and maybe even that question has been in your heart. God, why? Why in the world would you allow bad things to happen? Why? Why would you allow things to go this way? And so that's a very weighty, heavy question that we're going to see in the scriptures this morning answered. This is why. So we're going to look this week at the kingdom lost. We'll see, the, we'll see to come with greater understanding of this simplistic but weighty question of why bad things happen. We'll see sin enter the world through man's disobedience. We'll see all of these things take place and we'll see the presence of God be forever changed amongst his creation in this time. So I'm going to ask you this morning if you join me as we pray and then we'll jump into Genesis 3. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Jesus. We need you. We thank you so much for this morning. God, this opportunity to gather as your people in this place. Father, I pray this morning that you speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you remind us of some weighty, heavy truths this morning as we look at this question, why, as we think of this question, why, and we see the answer of why things happen the way that they happen. So, Father God, I just pray in this moment this morning as we open up your word and as your truth is proclaimed, God, that you would just uh, do some things in the heart of the people in this place. And God, those watching online, Father, that you would stir in them a greater affection, those who are yours, a greater affection and desire for you. Father God, if there maybe be one here, one watching, God, that you would stir in their heart their, this great need for you if they don't belong to you. And, and Father, for the heart here in this place that needs to be encouraged, needs to be reminded of some, uh, uh, some sweet truth from Scripture, Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning to just do a multitude of things. Jesus, we thank you, God. We praise you. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge that we are totally, 
utterly desperate for you. God, that we are hopeless without you and that we are in great need of you every moment of every day. And so, Father, we, we ask and we beg of you to do a work in this place this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, this is what God's word says. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So what we see is a serpent going after the woman. We see the serpent going after her and he asks her this question. And the thing is this, is that God never said that. He never said what the, what the serpent asked there is not what God said. Uh, let's, let's look at it for a second. Genesis 2, you don't have to flip there, you can just hear. Uh, Genesis 2, 16, this is God's word. This is what he says in this moment. The Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what God says. Not what the serpent said. The serpent uh, doesn't uh, repeat what God says. He manipulates it and he twists it and he does something to it. Remember the simplicity of the kingdom to begin with? Remember the simplicity as God creates and as he makes and he forms and he fashions and as he does? There's one rule. There's one rule. Just don't eat of this tree and that's it. Subdue and work the land, be fruitful and multiply, and don't do this. That's all. That's all. And what does the serpent do? The serpent goes after that one thing that God says not to do. And so I just, I just want to point to our attention real fast some things here that we need to be aware of. That we need to know that Satan will do whatever he can do to manipulate, to twist, to lie when it comes to God's word every time. He will do whatever he can do to trick us, to manipulate us, to, uh, uh, to deceive us. Uh, that's just his nature and his character. And that's what he does. Especially as it pertains to God's word. I mean, you see, that do, you see him doing that whenever he tempts Jesus. Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's, he's hungry. He's been led out to the wilderness to do that. And then here comes Satan upon him. And what does he do? He tries to tempt him. He tries to trick him. He tries to manipulate and change God's word. Which is crazy because it's Jesus who is God's word. And he tries to do that to Jesus. And what we see him doing from the very beginning is the exact same thing. So why does he do that? Why does Satan seem to manipulate or to change or to, or to try to distort what God's word is? Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. It says, for the word of God is living and active. So, so it's not just some other book that we have on our shelf. It's not just some other book that we have in our possession. That, that God's word is living. It's active. It's moving. It's doing something. It's a, accomplishing something is what God's word does. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Of joint and marrow. And, and then listen to this church. And discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's what God's word does. That's what, the Bible says that the heart is wicked and who can understand it and who can know it? God's word can. That's why it's so pertinent that we know it. That's why it's so important that we have it. That's why it's so important uh, uh, that, that we're in it constantly. Why? Because our heart will stray. Our heart will go after what, what we long for, what we desire, what this flesh wants. But what God's word does is it always draws us back. Why? Because it's living and it's active. It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I mean, you don't know how many times I have to run back to God's word because in my heart, there are certain things and, and there are like certain things that are even kind of like, like not bad type certain things. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there are certain things that it's kind of like, okay, like, like I, there's liberty to do that. Like, like I could, I could, yeah, I could respond that way or I could act that way or I could, but is that going to point people to Jesus? Is that going to be reflective of who God is, his nature, his character, though I may have freedom? And so what God's word does is it always brings us back to level. It points us and it shows us. One reason why Satan hates it is because it does that. It, it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And he doesn't want you to do that. Because Satan's philosophy, this world's philosophy, is just chase the desires of your heart. You deserve it. You are utmost. You are great. You've worked hard for. You, you, you need. You should have. Look at all you've done. You deserve to be happy. Gosh, you deserve to be happy. Just go be happy and do whatever you need to do. Spend whatever kind of money, chase after whoever you need to chase after, live however you need to live, do whatever you need to do, because you deserve to be happy. 
And man, we eat that up, do we not, church? Even in the church, we eat that up. And we run after our heart's desire that's contrary to God because we think we deserve because we have bought into a lie. I just want to try to debunk it as softly as I can here for a moment. Um, and I've said this over and over, so I don't know why I'm being so gentle, but God doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about your joy. Like you get happiness as fleeting, right? Like you, you understand it. And the stupid illustration that I always use every time is, is my Mountaineer football, West Virginia. I mean, we actually did it the first week and then we got beat by Oklahoma State. And I was talking to a lady last week that's from Oklahoma, and I'm like, you, your football teams. She's like, I'm Oklahoma State. I'm like, yeah, they beat us too. And so it was funny because I, I was talking to Ryan yesterday, and he's like, well, who's the Mountaineers play? I don't even know. I didn't even look. Why? Because we've lost already. Move on to basketball. You know, it's like, and like, like I let that, like, I let that affect me. Why in the world? Oh, it was actually off last week, so we couldn't lose last week, uh, or this week. So it was great news for us. But, but we let certain things like that dictate us, or certain things like that affect how we feel. That, that's happiness, church. That's, that's those uh, uh, surface level type emotional junk that's there. And God is much more interested in our joy. Joy is eternal. Joy can't be snuffed out. Joy can't be taken. Why? Because it's rooted in the unchanging reality of who Christ is and what he's done for me. Take everything. The Mountaineers can lose every game. Take all I have and it doesn't matter. Why? Because I have Christ and I have salvation and that's more than enough of what I need. That's what God's interested in. But Satan will try to tell you to run after the desires of your heart, the longings of your heart, whatever you think of, you deserve, you should have. So that's one of the reasons why he manipulates. That's one of the reasons why he distorts. The second is this, 2 Timothy 3.16, I love this, is all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable. There's going to be great gain from God's word. And look at what it is. It's profitable for teaching. See, God's word teaches us. Why? Because we need to learn. We need to grow. We need to mature. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. We need correction in our life. All I know is, this, is that I'm 36 years old and I still need to be corrected from time to time. Why? Because my heart will long for things that are contrary to God. I will think certain things that aren't true and aren't right as it pertains to God and His standard of living and being and doing. And I need to be corrected. I need accountability. We desperately need that. And this is what it's profitable for. This is the great gain of it. He says, in training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, the woman of God, so that we may be complete... That's what God's word does. Now do you see why Satan hates it? Now do you see why Satan wants to distort what God has said? And we, we see in the very beginning as he goes after woman. And he distorts what God, God never said that. He said this. No, he didn't. God said what he said. And Satan distorts it. And then the second thing I would point you to here is this, is that we need to be aware of self-lifting and self-glorifying religiosity that adds to the word of God. Anything that adds to the word of God, we, we need to get away from, we need to have nothing to do with, we need to, uh, to expose it for what it really is. And I'm just going to give you an example that I give you all the time, and it's the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is, is junk. It's not the gospel. It makes you the utmost in scripture. It makes it all about you and your little desires and your little wants and your little Whatever. And what the prosperity gospel does is it elevates you to a place that you were never meant to be. And it promises you something that God never promised. That's what the prosperity gospel does. And, and my, my rebuttal to this or my defense against the prosperity gospel is if that's the case, then God hated Paul. God couldn't stand his disciples if that's the truth. If you're just not praying hard enough, if you're just not giving enough, if you're just not doing, it's not about what you do, it's about what God does in you. And as a result of that, it changes everything about you to whereby you act and you do as a result of him being present and alive and active in you by way of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. It's not me do something and, and get my God all riled up and let him, let him bless me now. Well, God, I, I told my neighbor about you, now you need to give me this. God, I, I did that for you. Now, that going, God, I give, I give a buck fifty to the homeless guy on the corner. And I was wearing my Jesus t-shirt. The 
The prosperity gospel will say, well, then, then you get this or you deserve this or you should have this. And I just want a little side note here. If, if at any time you have to put a word in front of the gospel, you've just made it something that is never meant to be. You've made it anti-gospel. Prosperity gospel. No, 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 it's just the gospel, church. There's no verbiage in front of it needed. No adjective to describe it. It's just fine without anything. You need to be aware of stuff like that that happens. If there's any word in front of the gospel, the gospel is enough. That's all we need. We don't need describers for it because the gospel is enough. And hear me, Satan loves to add to God's word because then that makes it not the word of God. And Satan despises the word of God. And anytime we follow something other than God's word, what happens? Really bad stuff. We'll see here shortly as the scriptures continue. Verse two, it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Well, there she goes. Now she's adding to it. What is she doing? And I guess my question here is, why would you even engage? Why would you get involved in the debate? I just want to press you here this morning, church, is to stay away from Satan, stay away from his lies, stay away from sin, no matter how small or minute it may seem to be or appear to be, just have nothing to do with it. See, I think the thing that we kind of pride ourselves on is, is, that, is that we like to get as close as we can. We'll even like dangle our toes over, but we'll still have our weight back this way. So I can't fall. Uh, there it is. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. Ah. Here it comes again. I'm not touching it. Hey, everybody look. I'm not touching it. I'm not, there it is. I'm not touching it. Why even engage it? Why even focus on it? Why even entertain it? Why have anything to do with sin? What we need to do with sin is we need to kill it. That's what we do. We, we, don't, we don't dabble with it. We don't, we don't pet it. We don't, we don't think it's cute and, and feed it a little bit. No, we, do, we, we destroy it and get rid of it. See, I think God is much, much more pleased with us. If, if this is the sin and this is the line, I, I think he's much more pleased with us over here. Maybe kind of this way. Focusing on him. Having nothing to do with it. God doesn't think you're awesome and great and cool when you can get over here and kind of hang your toes over the edge. And not touch it, but get real close to it and not be affected. God would much rather you be away, not even engaged in it at all. Not even engaged in it at all. But focused on him. Focused on who he is. And so the story goes in verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. Oh. But God said you would. But God said you would. Who cares what anybody else says? Who cares what I say if it doesn't match up to the word of God? It's just a waste of time and it's jargon and jumbled nonsense. If God said it, he means it. There's no other way to put it. And the thing is, is we have got story after story after story and history on our side pointing and proving and showing to us over and over and over that when our God says something, he means it. That when our God makes a promise or makes a claim, he is going to do it. And so the woman, I know she gets a bad rap. And every man in the room is like, yep, praise God, that dumb woman. And if you say that, you're probably not married or you won't be for long. But, but, but men, just buckle up. We'll get to us in a second. And so, so what I want to say here is this, this is why it's so important to know God's word. Because if we don't know God's word, we'll fall for anything and believe what seems to sound good but not be rooted in truth, not be rooted in the promise of God. It, that we've got to know she fell for it. She, she fell for it. You'll not die. She fell for it. Verse 5, for God 
knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this is where it starts. This is where Satan dangles in front of us this issue that we fight with and we struggle with even to today, this God complex issue. This desire to be like God in all the not good ways. We want to be like him, but we want to be like him with like some of the other cool benefits of being like him. Okay, the holiness, okay, the living this way, okay, the thinking this way, okay, okay, I'll try, but, but if I could just get some of those other like cool little features that he's got, I want to be like God like that. Like, I want to know what's coming next. I want to be in control of situations and circumstances. I want those type of God type features and characteristics. This whole holiness and this whole living this way or acting this way or not talking this way or being this way. Okay, that's cool and great and grand, but, but, but I want the other stuff. And I'm afraid deep down, we actually think that we know better than God. That, that when his word was written or his, his scriptures were given to us or he breathed out what he breathed out by inspiration on the hearts of those, those men to pen his words. Man, that they're, that they're dated and that there's no way that they can mean for us today what they meant for them. Man, it's 2020 and, and there's a pandemic. Man, it's 2020 and there's financial struggles. Man, it's 2020 and my wife is crazy and ready to leave me. Or it's 2020 my husband just won't love me like he's supposed to. And our, it's 2020 and my kids are crazy. Or it's 2020 and my, my neighbors act like fools all the time. Or it's 2020 and, and you name your problems or issues or lists. And I think deep down we think that we know better than God. Now we'd never say that with our mouth. Man, but doesn't our lives reek of it? I mean, doesn't our lives reek of it? You don't have to show your hands, but, but, but let me try to prove a point for just a second. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but this is an election year. You've heard of it. Yeah, no show of hands here, but, but how many people have just kind of felt this angst in them as a result of that? I don't know if you watch the news, but it is going to be detrimental if this side wins, or it's going to be detrimental if this side wins, or it's going to be detrimental whatever. It's ending for us. Wherever you fall, wherever you land, whatever you think, it's the end of the world for us whatever your political side is what is that is that God complex I'm not saying don't don't pray about it I'm not saying don't participate I'm not saying any of that stuff all I know is I'm going to vote the conviction that God has given me that represents and looks most like him look church I'm just going to get it out there we're not looking for a king you hear me? I don't need a king. And this side is not it, and this side is not it, as good as whatever their plan is, and as great as whatever their plan may be. Both of those plans are miserable compared to the king of kings. His plan. I don't need a king. My heart doesn't bow down to the U.S. of A. My heart doesn't chase after the president. My heart, none of that stuff matters compared to the king of kings and the lord of lords. So, so why do we feel this angst? Because we don't know what's going to happen. And Scott, if this one doesn't win or that one doesn't get in, then it's over as we know it. And I guess my question is this. But is it? But is it? I mean, I mean have you seen how much God loves his church? More than anyone in this room does. More than anybody in this room does. More than anybody in this world does. And do you know how I know that? It's because his son died for it. He sent his son to die for the church. Do you not think that he's going to take care of her? Do you not think that he's going to rule and reign over her? Now, I'm not saying that we may not go through hell for a little bit. Because he loves us enough to let us go through that. It doesn't seem like love, does it? Oh, it does when it refines, when it corrects, when it rebukes, when it, when it raises us up, when it, and I don't know if you've prayed this, but my prayer for 2020, what I think is the greatest year we've ever lived in has been this, God, make me more dependent upon you. 
beginning of the year before anything even hit. God, that's my prayer every year. God, make me more dependent. Make me need you more. Make me love you more. Make me want you more. And I don't know about you and where you're at, but you throw a pandemic in it, boom. Changes everything, don't it? When you close down the economy, where do you run to? Your money's useless now. Where do you run to? Your stuff's useless now. And you have nothing but God. So, so church, that's, that's where our heart needs to be. And all it does is it proves and it shows that maybe our dependence is far too much on us and this whole God complex that we think we have and not near enough on the King of kings and Lord of lords. So in the kingdom of God, their eyes were on the king, being obedient and enjoying the presence of God. And church, that's where we need to be. The story goes on in verse 6 and it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and it was, uh, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So now we see what's happening. She's, she's turned to it. She's engaged in conversation. This is the kingdom set up like God wanted it. Um, and, and it was supposed to be. And there it is. And now she's engaged in conversation. And now what has she done? That conversation has penetrated a little bit further. And now she's looking at it. D- don't look at it. Church, I beg you, don't look at it. Don't, don't do it. Don't even look at the sin. Don't even think of the sin. Don't like run around with blinders saying, uh, uh, don't think about lust. Don't think about lust. Don't think about thoughts. Don't think about cussing. Don't think about cussing. Don't think about cussing. Uh, don't think about this. Don't th- no, no, think about Jesus. Look to Jesus. Why did she not run to him? Why did she not go after him? Don't even entertain it. Don't even look. Satan wants you to look. Why? Because he makes sin look pretty and he promises something that's impossible with it. That's what he does. I mean, look, she saw it and it was a delight to the eyes. That's what sin does. I'm just telling you right now. We think of sin as this nasty, mucky, no good, whatever. And deep down, yes, it is, but, but we're not at that place to see it in the moment. What we see is something beautiful, something desirable, something that, that, that our heart, as I talked about earlier, longs for and runs after to, to make us that we want to enjoy in that moment. And that's where she heads. And so she took of its fruit and she ate. Oh, dang woman. Hang on, man, I'm coming. She's so gracious to do this. She also gave some to her husband. Because what we like to do is we like to pin it on her. And we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes, right? This owning our, our own sin and owning our own stuff. We, we like to pin it on that dang woman. Ah. Oh. See, God, if it was Bethany and not Eve, it would have been fine. No, it had to be Eve. Look at what God's word says. And she also gave some to her husband. Who was where? With her. He was right there. Adam was right there. And what does he do? No, he eats. She sees it. She looks at it. She grabs it. She takes a bite with her husband next to her and give some to him. And what does that bonehead do? Women, where are you at now? Come on. He eats it too. He eats it too. And so I just, I've got some thoughts that, I, that we're going to walk through here in a moment. But, but the first one, I don't know, I was just sitting here worshiping. And as I was doing, I just felt like God pressed upon my heart. And I just want, I want to just share this with you for a moment. I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know what's happened over the last few months, the last few years of your life. Uh, but I just want you to know something. I don't care how big your mess up has ever been. I don't care how horrific it appears to be. I, I, I don't know what your sin and your struggle looks like. But do you see what's happening in the scriptures this morning? The first sin on earth takes place. So I don't know how bad you've messed up. I don't know what dumb stuff you've done in your life. But I would venture to say it's probably not quite as bad as this. Yeah, but all she did was take a... She was the first one. He was the first one to disobey God. I don't know how it gets worse than that. So because of you two, now everything, everything has changed. And so the next thought that I just want to give us here is that who was with her part, that man part, because we like to throw it on the woman. And this is another sermon for another day. But what we see in this moment is man punts on his responsibilities in the kingdom. And men, we've been doing it ever since, haven't we? 
man punts on his God-given responsibility in the kingdom, set up and established the way that it was supposed to. He punts on that. And what we have been doing 20, 20 years later is the exact same thing, is it not? He is there and he does nothing. Grow a dang backbone for the Lord. I mean, for heaven's sake, he's there and he does nothing. He doesn't step in. He doesn't lead. He's just there. All right, baby, yeah. I mean, I don't know what his, I could see a googly eyes on his face or whatever. Who's playing later? I, don't, I mean, I don't know. And what is it? He just lets her do it. And what do we know in the scriptures? God makes man first. He gives man the moral instruction and taught him the design of life in the garden. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 teaches. God didn't repeat that for Eve. God uh, established man in a position, in a leader role. And so what we know is that Adam was responsible to provide for his family with moral vision and to lead them. And men, it's the same thing for us. You hear me? It is the same thing for us today. So don't punt on that great responsibility and privilege. Live the kingdom here and now. Lead your family. And you lead your woman like Jesus would lead your woman and you love and you sacrifice and you care for sacrificially. You, you engage. You, you do all of those things. Because that's the way that God has established it. You don't have to like it, but that's the way that he's established it. You may not be outspoken and have that in you. But hear me, God has established it and he will equip you and he will give you. He won't ask you to do something that you're not capable of. Or that he hasn't equipped you for. So what we see is, is man punt on his responsibility and then look at the consequences in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Oh, crud. Mm. Because what did the scriptures teach earlier? They were naked and not ashamed. They were naked and didn't even know it. That's how they were. And I'm not just talking about the physicality of it. But now what happens is their eyes are opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so this is a change from what we see earlier in the kingdom, right? This changes everything now. There's strife, deception, lack of being transparent, lack of being real. And what do they try to do as a result of that? Now they can see. Isn't this what they wanted? Look at what they do. They can see, but what do they try to do in this, the second part of this verse? They, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Oh crud, we're naked, let's hide. And not just here, but let's hide here. Let's hide here. Let's hide here. Let's hide here. That's what, that's what they do. They try to hide themselves. They try to cover up. And we do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. Oh, how we're the same, right? How we have progressed so much further down the road. We just do it in different ways, don't we? We just do it in different ways. The example that I always give is this. I mean, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. And if you're of the church background, I'm blessed. I don't know why we do this, but I've never seen anybody do that when they're blessed. That's how I am blessed. But we, do, we, we hide behind our words. We, we don't, we don't, we're not open and honest and transparent. We all like being a part of a group until it's time to be a part of a group. And what I'm talking about when it's time to go deeper, when it's time to share, when it's time to be vulnerable, when it's time to open up, when it's time to be real, when it's time to be honest. And for the first time in creation, Adam and Eve here experience this. Oh crud, what if I really say how I'm feeling? How might they answer? How might they look at me? What will they think? So what do they do? They cover up. And hear me, this is not how God intended for things to be in his kingdom. Covering up, pretending, acting like things are always good. That's not his desire. He wants you to be naked and unashamed. He wants you to be vulnerable and real. He wants you to be open. Well, because there's, there's no preconceived notion. There's no deception. Now deception is entered in. How? By sin. How? By the serpent. And that's what we see happen. And look in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And look at what they do. Man and his wife, they hid themselves for the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. I think easily the most heartbreaking sentence of all the Bible. Oh, church. They had the presence of God readily available and accessible anytime they wanted it. 
And they were walking with him in the garden, naked and unashamed, scared of nothing, no fear, no issues, no struggles, no nothing. And then sin enters, and as sin enters, it messes up everything. And what do they do now? They hear him coming and they hide. And it's something that we've done ever since, isn't it? You hear God, what do you do? You hide. You hear God, you try to run from him. Instead of turning to him, instead of running to him, instead of being exposed and open and vulnerable. And I think the thing that blows my mind, we're going to see here in just a moment, is that he's aware. He's aware. So they hid themselves from God and the kingdom lost here. Everything's changed relationally with man and God to the point that they're trying to hide themselves now. They're trying to cover themselves from the presence of God. They're trying to put separation between them and God. But verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? And so in the kingdom lost, we see something beautiful happening here with grace, with the character and with the nature of God that I want us to feel the weight of this morning. Seeing the pronouncement of judgment in this rebellion against the king and the kingdom. What is God doing in this moment? He's extending grace. Even in spite of, in the midst of their rebellion and their sin, he is wooing Adam out of his shame and into confession. That's what he's trying to do. See, God's not asking this question because he doesn't know the answer. He is aware and knows fully what's happened. He knows where they're at. He hasn't misplaced them or lost track of them. God is aware. Church, hear me. God's aware. He knows where you're at. He knows exactly where you're at. We need to quit playing hide and seek with them. We need to quit playing tag and running off. We need to quit because he knows and he's aware and he sees everything. And even in him seeing and knowing and being aware, what does he do? The exact same thing that he does here with Adam and Eve. As he comes after us in spite of us. Oh, church, the grace that is displayed in this moment. He does the same in us, to us in our sin. Same as us. And you know what? Maybe he's doing that this morning in your heart. Maybe he's doing that by way of the Holy Spirit. If you're watching online or if you're here in this place this morning and maybe you've played games or maybe you just haven't quite fully uh, dove in and come to faith in, in Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross. And so maybe in this moment, maybe the things that, that, that God's saying to your heart is like, Qu- quit running and just come on. Quit playing. I know what you did last night. I know what you did two weeks ago. I'm fully aware of it. When I ask where you're at, it's not because I don't know, but it's because I want you to know that I know. I want you to know that I'm aware. I want you to know that I'm in the middle of it with you. And I want to, I want to woo you back to me. I want you to, to just turn to me and be dependent upon me. Maybe that's what's happening in your heart this morning. And I would just encourage you, if that's the case, man, run to him. Run to him. Vulnerable. Run to him. Open. Run to him. Honest. Man, what a great thing that the God of the universe, aware of our, our sin, our stuck up, our, our, our struggles, approaches us even in the midst of that. So what we see is God in the beginning saying, if you eat, you will die. They ate, but what didn't happen in this moment? They didn't die. See, I told you God was a liar. No, 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 just hang on. We'll, we'll see about that here in a second. See, they eat, but they don't die. And God shows up. How does he show up? Not with a hammer, but with coaxing them out of their shame. He shows up with love and grace and mercy in their rebellion, in their sin. I mean, that's the God that I want to serve. That's the God I want to be a part of. That's the God I want to have relationship with. You, you mean to tell me he saw and he knew and he still says, hey, where are you at? Come here. Yes, that's our God. Oh, that's his heart. That's his nature. Look at verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. This is Adam. And I was afraid. They'd never experienced fear before. Well, because it wasn't there. Well, because now their eyes are open and sin is fractured and ruined everything. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And look at God's response. You idiot, what were you doing? No. He didn't say that. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that response because I feel like that's like God with me. Scott, what are you doing, man? Come Come here. Let's talk about this for a second. What are you doing? Why did you run after that? Uh, Scott, why did you think that way? Scott, why did you respond that way? Scott, why did you say that? Scott, why? No, Scott, you, oh. There's no hammer. There's no nothing thrown at me. None of that. It's just that simple question when they're caught in their sin and they have the opportunity to confess. But look at what happens now as the kingdom is lost. 
And I believe this is another way that we hide. This is another way that we hide. We, we hide because we try to uh, separate ourselves from God. Or we try to run from God or we try to do things like that. But this is another way that I believe that we hide here. And look at what happens in verse 12. The man said, the woman, there we go. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. So what do we see? We see the blame game. The blame game begins. There's no assuming responsibility for sin. There's none. None there. If I was God, I'd be like, Adam, where were you standing in that moment? Oh, like justice and wrath and... Oh, man, where were, where were you? But no, we don't see that. We don't see that in God's response. He begins to blame Adam does. And look at what it... Look, look at real close. I want to reread it again for you just a second. Look, look, at, look at how this goes. Then the man says in response to God, the woman... Boom, blame number one. The woman did it. It was her fault. And then look at where else he, he has the audacity. Like if I'm God in this moment, Eve, I am so sorry that I created him for you. I've got somebody else back here, door number two. And then we have the dating show starting. Now, oh, Adam. He says, well, first, the woman. And then look where it goes, whom you, who's the you here, God. Who does he blame? He blames the woman and blames God because it could never be man. And we still wear that badge on our shirt, don't we? we? We still wear that. It's that woman. We probably don't go this far, but it's you who you gave to be with me. She gave me the tree of the fruit and I ate it. Man, how we've changed, right? How we've gotten so much further along, how we've gotten so much better. It, it couldn't be me. It could never, it could never be me. It's not my fault. It's because of someone else or an environment or a system or a bad hand being dealt to me. It, it can never be me. It can never be my fault. It's always someone else or something else. Or it can even get to the point of, well, God, you, you knew that I struggled with this and then you let me go down that road. So technically it's not my fault, but it's your fault because you put me in a situation. And that's what we see Adam doing here. And that's what happens when the kingdom is lost. There's no taking on responsibility. And then look at what God does. He, he, he doesn't even dabble. He goes, he says to the woman, verse 13, what is this that you have done? And the woman says, and then here she goes, because she's progressed so much further along. And women thinking highly of yourself all of a sudden, when you see what Adam does, look at what, look at what woman does. The serpent deceived me and I ate. There she goes with it. She, she passes blame on down the line, doesn't she? Because it could never be her. It's that serpent, that creation thing that you created. That's what it is. Self-righteous people will never own their sin. Never own their sin. They're, they're always going to have somebody else to blame or they're going to have a finger to point. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to take place. That's why we don't like conviction. That's why we don't like to live out a life of repentance. Because we think more highly of ourselves than we should. No, we're wicked and sinful. Yes, I have been redeemed and yes, I am a citizen of heaven and, and yes, I am righteous and holy but there is parts of me that God is still working on to sanctify. Sanctify is an ongoing process that I will not complete until I'm in glory with him. And so yes, there is sin struggle in this old boy that stands up here and proclaims the word of God week in and week out. Man, I can be selfish. I can be hateful. I can be cunning with my words. Man, I cannot love my wife like I need to. I can be tough on my kids. I can discipline for the wrong reasons. I, I mean, there, we could go on. I mean, language that could come out. I mean, things that I look at and lust after and want of this world. I, I mean, we, we could talk for days about the sin in this boy up here. But we can do that because I know of the one that has redeemed me and saved me and who has made me right. And the thing that we've got to be careful of, church, is that we will think more highly of ourselves than we should and we will think that we are self-righteous because of what we have done and not what God has done. And once you come to the place and you understand that it's not you but it's the God that's in you, but then you're absolutely right. Guilty as charged. And the reality is this, is that if, if you knew me half as good as what God knew me, those front doors is where I'd be headed right now. And then look as the story goes in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Man, church, that's the first messianic prophecy that we see. I'm not going to unpack that this morning, but, but man, that, that is just God saying, boy, it's coming. 
I've got a rescue plan is what I have. I'm going to redeem and I'm going to save and I'm going to rescue. I have got something coming that's going to destroy you is what he says. In verse 16 he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you and Adam And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. And so what we see here is chaos invading harmony in these pronouncements. That's not how God set it up. That's not the kingdom he established. That's not the kingdom he created. But what happens? The kingdom is lost. Man, the kingdom is lost. Verse 19, he says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and, and for you are dust, and the dust you shall return. And so now we have chaos. Now death is introduced. Where there was harmony of life, that's no more. Now we see God instituting death. Death is coming for you, Adam. I told you it was going to come, and it comes. And what we see in the scriptures and what we know to be true in God's word is that death comes in two phases. One is the spiritual death, that we need to be born again. We need to be, uh, get a new heart. We need to come alive in Christ. So there's a, there's a spiritual death, and then there's a physical death. And the physical death is us no longer being here, us going in the ground. There's that. But what we see happen here is that, that God removed his presence, and now chaos, no harmony There's death. In verse 20, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living things and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Church, that's our God even in spite of our sin and our mess ups. Look at what he does. He he extends grace and mercy. As the band comes back up, that's what our God does. He extends grace and love and mercy even in the midst of rebellion. Why? Because again, he's wooing them back. He's like, look, you've messed up, you've blown it. And hear me, church, maybe that's you this morning. You've messed up, you've blown it, but hear, hear me. I want to be relational with you. I want to walk with you. I want my presence to be with you and in you. And what does he do? He clothes them with leather outfits of rebellion. He clothes their little body with what? Like the, the, the things that you just made to try to cover up and try to shed your, that's no good. Let, let me do it right for you. Let me give you. And what does he do? He, he gives them garments. Verse 24, 3, the Lord God sent out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So as a result of it, they're kicked out of the garden. As a result of it, everything has changed. With the kingdom lost, everything has changed. So Genesis 3 is about the kingdom lost and there's so much that has been lost. Church, there is so much that has taken place as a result of sin. Everything changes now as a result of man's disobedience. So many consequences for the citizens of this kingdom that even trickle down to our day. Creation reordered, chaos enters, death is made known. All of creation is twisted and forever changed on this side of eternity. And the greatest consequence that we face or that we have received as a result of man's disobedience is the loss of God's presence. The the greatest need in our life today, the greatest need in your life right now in this moment is the presence of God. The, The dwelling of God among his people is what our hearts and souls are longing for. That's what the world's trying to figure out. So when the craziness arises and debates happen or, or, or this takes place or this injustice happens over here or that takes place there or, or, or whatever the case is, mankind's trying to figure things out. And they're struggling because, because there's this God-sized hole that they're trying to fill. And if we can just control the situation or if we can just manipulate here or if we can just do enough good stuff there, then maybe, just maybe it'll be okay when what this world needs so desperately is the presence of God. And so because of the fall, because of the kingdom lost, we're broken and we're trying to fill what we were created for with cheap, janky counterfeits that don't satisfy, that don't complete. And so the great news, church, the great news, what we see this morning here in the reality of the kingdom lost is that God doesn't quit. 
but he pursues and he makes his presence available for those that will repent of their sin and enter into a relationship with the king. I've got God's presence now because he lives in me. Because I've surrendered self. I've I've died to self. I've been born again. And so what we know from scripture is that citizens exercise a glad obedience to the king because they have tasted and they have seen how great his love and mercy truly is. So the question I'd ask you this morning is this, are you walking in God's presence? Have you experienced that? Do you have that? Or are you in need of becoming a citizen of the kingdom? I mean, I just pray, oh God, I pray that you feel the reality and the weight of the scriptures this morning. Of how even on your worst day, God comes for you. Because he loves you and he wants to extend mercy and grace. And I pray, church, that we as image bearers of the King, as we made in the Imago Day His image, that we will do the same in this world that desperately, desperately needs Jesus. We don't need a president. We don't need government. We don't need this. We don't need that set up. We don't need... Uh, we need to point people to Jesus. He's our King. He is who we bow our heart down to. He is who we follow wholeheartedly. Why? Because when everything was lost, he comes running in and offers back. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart this morning. I don't know what he's saying to you in this place this morning, but I want to encourage you this morning this, is that if you need to come pray, and as he's maybe stirred up some sin in your life, or as he's pointed to some things in your life that needs to be made right, whatever the case is, or if maybe for the first time you are hearing the still small voice of God, because what I know is this, he doesn't bust in screaming and throwing a fit. But he just busts in with a soft, small whisper of Scott. Oh man, come here for a second. We don't run to screaming and crazy, do we? We run to that still, small voice of peace and mercy. And so maybe for the first time you're hearing that, and I would encourage you, if that's the case, man, run to it. And I'll be down here and we can talk more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But you be obedient in this moment as the band leads us. Father, help us this morning to hear your voice. God, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. God, I feel certain the things that we've seen this morning in your word God that you there's not one person in this room that's exempt from struggle about the things that we've seen God I know I'm not and so Jesus I just pray in this moment that your word would pierce that your word would do a work in this place that you would save the lost and God that you would you would bring the wandering heart back to you that you would convict of sin and that you would encourage the heart that needs it so Jesus work and move and do in the midst of this time in your name we pray Amen. If you guys would stay in, the band's going to lead us as we continue to worship.